Welcome to the Book Talkies podcast, a unique show where we take you into the wonderful world of books. On this platform, I, Anirudh, and I, Kaustub, will be conversing about the books we have read and come to love. Our purpose for this podcast is to make you fall in love with books. As we discuss our perspective on some bestsellers and hidden treasures, we hope to persuade our listeners to join us on this splendid journey of reading. And now, let's dig right in. Good evening, Kastav. How are you feeling today? Hey, Anirudh. Good evening. I'm doing quite well. Very excited. How are you feeling today? Thrilled. Thrilled to be here. We're finally doing this. But a little nervous at the same time since uh, I'm opening up a side of myself which has been restricted to a very close-knit circle. So let's see how it goes. Absolutely. Our first ever podcast. I mean, we have been avid readers and passionate about discussing books for quite some time. And talking about books in our office cafeteria and actually using this platform, not only just discussing amongst ourselves, but also sharing it to uh, a wider audience. I think it's quite exciting. It sure is. It sure With is. this, why don't, you, why don't you share which book are we talking about today? Absolutely. And our audience would have been waiting for this. So Indian history as a subject, has been very, very close to our hearts. And for that matter, the reason we started having conversations about books in the very first place. So we couldn't think of a better book to start our first episode than The Inglorious Empire, what the Britishers did to India by the great Dr. Shashi Tharoor. What a fantastic book to choose. And he, I believe he talks about quite a few things, but I'll just pick up three very prominent things, Mm -hmm. which will sum up the book of um, you know how how this book is all about. First, I think he gives a glimpse to a layman about Indian nationalism 101. Yeah. It's also not only about British colonialism as a whole, but simply about India's experience of it. And also very interesting point. He also wants to enlighten the British public, which is quite ignorant of the realities of the British Empire and what it means to its uh, subject peoples. I'll take you. I'll tell you one simple example. I have yeah. a niece. Who is who is in who's a school going kid? She is learning the British era, the pre-independence uh, period right now in her schooling. Yeah. And after reading this book, I asked her, "Hey, um, so what do you think? How how was how were we during the British Raj?" And she said, "Yeah, it was bad. We were beaten up a lot, and it was not good. Uh, we were starved, etc. But yeah, they they gave us railways, so that was a good thing." Yeah, and I think that's what I mean. There's so much more than this, these these high level information that we get in a book and that we get, get get in our school system, right? And there's so much more, and that's why this book is very essential for people who are very who want to know how what exactly happened to us in in the colonial era. Is this 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 book highlights that? I think that's where this is the right place to start. Where um, I would urge you to share how was the Indian subcontinent before the Britishers came here yes. and in what condition they left uh, us. True, true, true. I think this book really enlightened us as much as we hope it does to our audience when they read this book. Uh, so talking about India before the British Raj, which was early 17th century, if I remember this correctly, the book actually mentions India as being a world leader in shipbuilding. It had established wow. strong yeah. commerce and trade networks stretching across the world a nation which enjoyed a staggering 23% share of the world economy. And for context, 
that's equal to all of Europe in those days. And it was reduced to a mere 3% by the time the British left India. Those were the numbers. Yeah. Where community boundaries were far, far more blurred with Indian people yeah. from different communities sharing similar social and cultural practices. And what did the British do? Systematically destroy them. Building Chinese walls based on caste and religion. Transforming yeah. a once thriving nation into one of the poorest yeah. and most illiterate societies by the time of India's independence in 1947. So those are the staggering numbers yeah. which come into mind when we talk about British rule. I'll, I'll take your point, very, very important point that you that you made. You, you mentioned that there was a systematic destruction of the establishments here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also talked about the shipbuilding industry. I, I, I feel that the British Industrial Revolution, you know, the what whatever happened there, it was built on the destruction of these thriving manufacturing industries. Let's take these two examples. I'll come to shipbuilding shipbuilding industry in a minute. But textile, you know, our our Bengal handloom workers and the fabric that they produced was world renowned. You know, it it was it had the superior quality. It was quite economical, and it was in demand throughout. And what did uh, the Britishers do? They established East India Company. Yeah. They kept, they destroyed these industries. They destroyed the looms. And not only that, they also, according to certain accounts, they also destroyed on and broke thumbs of the weavers. So Thank if God. there's no artist, how will the art be produced? True. Our exports fell from 27% to 2%. And ultimately, what happened to this industry? We, we only then started exporting raw materials like cotton, jute, silk, coal, yeah. spices, rice tea, etc. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, again, destroying this establishment. Shipbuilding. Again, the Bengal-built ships were remarkably durable. 80% more life expectancy than the British-made ones. Wow. There was less wear and tear. They were quite fast. And that was a lucrative thing. That was a value proposition uh, in the most lucrative India-British trade route. The first thing that the British Raj did was they created the monopoly um, for the British-made ships. All right. Okay. The, in around in the early 1800s, they also passed an act where they denied permission for ships which were weighing less than 350 tons. This eliminated 40% of the Indian fleet. And when they made some more amendments to this uh, act, yeah, they ensured that the shipbuilding industry, from which was once thriving becomes completely non-existent. I mean, there are so many such examples, uh, you know, of where such destructions had happened. But while they destroyed these industries, they built some new systems, which was completely in their their favor. Yeah. And the first thing that comes to my mind, and I, I would like you to talk about, is racial discrimination. True, true, true. Yeah. So uh, one of the most tactical moves, which the British actually deployed to rule over their Indian subjects was claiming that they were doing some sort of enlightenment of a very inferior race, which all, by, mm-hmm. while always reassuring themselves of their own racial superiority. And this actually mm-hmm. resonated in their overall approach into the day-to-day affairs as well. And there's this popular saying from the Bollywood movies, Kanun Andha Hota Hai, which in English translates to the law is blind. Unfortunately, yeah. and very unfortunately, in the Indian context, that was never the case. If a white committed a crime against an Indian, that attracted minimal yeah. punishment. And an Englishman, for an instance, who shot dead his Indian servant for a mere six months of jail time. While an Indian who actually attempted 
rape against an english woman now by no means that's a crime understated but an attempt yeah. itself resulted in 20 years of rigorous imprisonment that's how skin attentive mm-hmm. the law and justice system was under the british rule another very yeah. classic example was how the oppressors established their private clubs which were open only to the whites and they fancy these signs stating indians and dogs not allowed we do believe that indians and oh. dogs not allowed and i thought it was only restricted i thought it was just yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. it was a truth no oh. and it was one such experience which jamshed ji tata underwent himself that led him to build one of the world's finest and most opulent hotels of that time the taj mahal which was always yeah. open to indians now that was a level of racial Lovely. discrimination which happened i think another yeah. very important thing which they had implemented was the divide and rule policy do you want to talk about that yes oh yes yes i mean um divide and rule and what they termed internally in their um leadership system was the dvd at empera this was one of the i believe one of the greatest achievements of british rule don't you think so yeah and i mean from dividing such a huge geography into two nations and now three uh, mm-hmm. pakistan india and bangladesh i mean it it was the epitome of what they achieved uh, yeah. from uh, from from their rule and i i think this is very interesting this is very interesting trivia which not many people would know even i wouldn't know if i hadn't hadn't read this book we are when you start using these tools mm-hmm. for uh, certain activities and they bring in such efficiencies into into their work i think that's that's fascinating right one such tool that britishers established and used for their disposal was census did you see census? census the population census yeah population census okay and i'll tell you how in the year 1872 that's where the first census happened now till before that uh they we had very fluid caste system um, now many people would know that in india we had an, a, a caste system uh, the varna system and there were quite a few religious and fluid religious boundaries as well we also so the the first war of independence the 1857 which uh, british called the sepoy mutiny mm-hmm. hindus and muslims they fought together yeah yeah but what this census exactly did it made the british people understand the different boundaries between these religions and castes and what you called as those chinese borders right it mm. it psychologically and philosophically affected us in thinking that okay you belong to this sect true and the other sect is uh, is is not good for you or interacting with them is not good for you let's take uh, this uh, shudras as a as as a you know caste for example shudras is considered to be one of the lower caste people now before the census what a shudra had to do is he based on his or her talent he can move from one princely state to another and uh, maybe you know just just work for his on on his, his or her skills let's see if you have a your able built person you can become a warrior but with census you were termed shudra for life i mean that's that's it it just created those chinese walls yeah. i think we can we can go on and on about this but the culmination of racial discrimination and divide and rule it gave us the most brutal uh, you know thing it to to indian subcontinent yes. the partition true true yeah please please tell the audience what is it yeah so here's how the story really goes up it was around the time of 1945 which is where world war 2 had just ended and britain was exhausted they realized they could no longer rule their indian subjects it was also a time where india was hoping that finally we'll be able to decide yeah. our own fate 
uh, but the colonizers yeah. played their played to their evil intentions and that left a yeah. lasting dent on india's map the partition of Correct. india and pakistan while on one hand the nationalist yeah. struggle empowered with the thought of purna swaraj or complete independence was working towards yeah. a united post colonial india the muslim league mm-hmm. under jinnah with strong support and intentional strong support from the britishers established themselves as mm-hmm. the sole representatives of the muslims in india and this successfully persuaded many a muslim to ask for the need of a muslim dominated country which later turned out to be pakistan mm-hmm. and the numbers of the partition are horrifying many of our own families have witnessed this first hand so the ill planned yeah. move by the british to separate india and pakistan killed over a million yeah. people over a million people yeah. and it displaced another 17 million which ended the it british rule saddens me all all time low so correct the rule itself wasn't a very happy period and they they yeah. left all they left us also at a at such a low that we we can only remember have remember them in sad memories correct also when we talk and, about this i think there were two sorry go ahead you were saying something yeah yeah i was i was hinting at that point that partition was terrible but even during during the entire period there were two very distinct moments mm-hmm. which defined the shape of how you look at the british raj right overall yeah i'll i'll take one i'll take one which was um very disheartening which no one talks about famines mm-hmm. yeah during the british period indian india faced 12 famines which uh, by certain numbers approximately if if we calculate around 35 million people died of starvation 35, 35 million. million exactly i mean it's you can actually call it as the great british holocaust i mean it's it's that bad it was that bad i'll just take two examples sure the 1866 orissa famine 1.5 million people starved to death and um a, there was this um, on ground there was this lieutenant colonel um, osborne he has written about these horrors of orissa famine i'll i'll quote it from the book he says and i quote scores of corpses were tumbled into old wells because the deaths were too numerous for miserable relatives to perform the usual funeral rites mothers sold their children for a single scanty meal husbands flung their wives into ponds to escape the torment of seeing them perish by the lingering agonies of hunger and that's just so sad to hear can't even think about it now yeah 1943 the great bengal famine just near independence winston churchill yeah yeah just four years before independence mm-hmm. the british prime minister winston churchill okay very very important point 1943 bengal famine 4 million people died there was a deliberate diversion of food uh, from india to top up the european stockpiles winston oh. churchill the then prime minister yeah the was sent an urgent telegram and giving him an understanding of the that this is what the food is needed here and his reaction to this telegram uh, was why hasn't gandhi died yet that's unbelievable i mean such such a apathy i think if i'm pronouncing really it correctly i mean totally <laughs> the i i mean i can't imagine what people went through but what really defined us and made the anglophiles into nationalists was the jallianwala bagh massacre don't you think so it was it sure was and i hope our audience by now has actually got a glimpse of what the british raj did to us and this is just a trailer there's yeah. a lot more to follow and we hope you actually read the book to get the best out of this 
so uh, yeah horrendous jallianwala bagh massacre happened in april 1919 and uh, it really made the indian eyes open towards british atrocities the story was something like this in it was the time of world war 1 which just culminated by by that time and indians had provided yeah. invaluable sacrifices to the british effort agreed in return agreed. for that yeah. india was promised transfer of authority on subjects like education yeah. for their own people but instead of that they were further oppressed not given any authority the rawlat mm-hmm. act of 1919 was passed silenced the yeah. press allowed detention of political activists and the arresting of yeah. individuals without a warrant that's the extent to which the british went and the obvious result mm-hmm. of this was a widespread protest across the nation more dominantly in punjab but these were all peaceful in nature but what actually aggravated yeah. these protests and turned them into riots was the unprovoked arrest of two nationalist leaders now mm-hmm. what followed after this was the deployment of the infamous brigadier general dyer who was exposed mm. brought in to be able to restore peace in punjab and that he surely did the rawlat act was passed in 1919 april and just around that time there was a follow up with a proclamation which did not allow people to do mass demonstrations or gathering groups of more than 3 correct on that same day when the proclamation was passed some 10 to 15000 people from outlying districts gathered at the jallianwala bagh in amritsar to celebrate one of the yeah. major religious festivals of baisakhi and they had no idea that yes. this proclamation is being passed now when general dyer learned of this gathering without any announcement he immediately marched with a detachment of his soldiers equipped with their guns to block the only major entrance to the park and he did not give any warning did not announce that this is an illegal gathering neither any instruction to disperse he ordered his troops to fire into the chest faces and bodies of unarmed and defenseless civilians many of whom many of whom were women and children and just for the record this resulted in more than 1500 people dead and another 1100 severely wounded for life so the jallianwala bagh in its truest sense was the evidence that britishers did not attribute any value to indian lives and it gives us goosebumps to even think about it today that that was the plight of the event and the the significance of this event in the overall context of india's freedom struggle and and you know what the, the so called anglophiles and the british apologists they they <laughs> they say no no it was yeah yeah it happened but they also gave us some gifts the so called gifts yeah. that that we got from this british rule right the most famous example railways hmm. the second most famous example cricket yeah which we dominate now and the third most famous example tea yeah 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 true why don't you talk about railways and cricket please yeah sure so uh, the railway system on which india and even including me are really dependent was definitely set up by the british but it was entirely for their personal gain it was intended to transport yeah. raw materials like coal cotton yeah. which moved from the indian soil was ported to the british factories converted into finished goods and sold back into the indian uh, subcontinent and these there were double yeah. standards even in terms of employment in the railways so while in britain they followed a very merit based system so people from firemen moved to drivers based on their merit for obvious mm-hmm. reasons in the indian context the colonized were always given positions which were which had inconsequential power and obviously no authority to take any decisions and another gift as you yeah. talked about was the gentleman's cricket as they call it which today defines yeah. and uh, reflects the truest diverse india which we which we know of now we have seen hindus muslims parsis christians sikh 
as captains of this country the game was surely brought to us by the british there are no two thoughts about that yeah. but there has been many an instance where we have beat them in their own, own game and yeah. that's when they decided that they should set up quadrangular series put the hindus against yeah. the muslims muslims against the parsis and then all of them against the rest the irony of that is we have lifted the one day world cup twice we have conquered the first t20 world cup and we have been multiple yeah. time test champions so i'm not even sure Correct. how much of a gift are either of these in the context of british rule you want to talk about we beat them in their own game yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We, we, we did we absolutely <laughs> did yeah and the third example tea yeah you know my parents the first thing they do when they get up is they drink tea mm-hmm. but it it was an accidental find uh may, many people don't know about this but tea was grown in assam and the the assam tea and the darjeeling tea that we come to love now it was grown by scottish planters and picked by our underpaid indian laborers okay and it was directly shipped to mother country and this all happened to reduce the dominance of tea producing china in in the world it was only during the the great depression of 1930s okay when demand in the britain dropped completely and these british traders had to unload their stocks so what they had to do just dump. get it in india they unloaded mm-hmm. yeah just dump it here they sold it here to indians and we readily accepted it with delight because of course it tastes well yeah, yeah? and so it was it was not made for us we just accepted it. yeah yeah um we will go on and on i mean we are not even covered i think 1/10 of the book True. right we yeah. i mean I, i hope what we are trying to do with this with this conversation is to um entice people to pick this book up hmm. and read about it and yeah. get to understand what truly exactly happened and how um, our for how our grandfathers and grandmothers have lived their life in the pre-independence period yeah what what being an indian what do we want from this you that's know, a question what, that needs to be what exactly answered, do we yeah. want yeah i think two things and dr tharur also points that out uh, in some shape or form first a, a genuine apology yeah right a genuine i am sorry hmm you know from maybe from from top ranking british uh, uh politicians prime ministers we deserve it and second i think the british school going children they should be taught of what built their homeland you know just as the german children are taken to the concentration camps to see the awful reality of what their forefathers did yeah i think this these are the two things which i i'm you know would be key points for us how to end this how to mm. end this charade altogether i i would totally agree kastu uh, absolutely and uh, we we really hope through our conversation our audience you have been able to get a glimpse of india's plight under british raj we strongly strongly recommend you to read the inglorious empire what the britishers did to india and share your thoughts with us uh, you can do that on our linkedin page and the links are available in the podcast description in the next episode we pick up atomic habits by james clear a self help best seller which talks about the power of small changes practiced over time fantastic book yeah, fantastic yeah, yeah. Book. Yes, yes absolutely absolutely and th- this book has not only helped us become more productive in life but it continues to inspire us in enjoying the journey of achieving our goals this brings us to the end of this episode of the book talkies thanks for listening in if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to our podcast and help us spread the word we would truly appreciate any feedback that you may have so please use the link in the description to leave your comments thanks again 
see you in the next episode till then happy reading